Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to go back and listen to what Amos has to say. He's one of the minor prophets, and uh, we've been going through the minor prophets on a pretty regular basis. He was someone who is a little bit mysterious, to say the least. He's supposed to be the shepherd, and uh, living around the time of uh, around 8th century. And uh, he was uh, in the period of time where Jeroboam II was king of Israel and and Uzziah was the leader of Judah. And uh, he wrote down these prophecies, which we see is about nine different chapters, and he is talking about pretty much the same thing everybody else was talking about. He he quotes from Joel. Uh, Peter quotes Joel at Pentecost. And uh, he's supposedly this uh, shepherd from uh, Tekoa, which is a town in southern Judah, near Jerusalem. But uh, his prophecies were given in the northern kingdom and he was supposedly the the shepherd and dresser of sycamore trees and uh, sycamore trees in the sense of bearing figs uh, that's that's the term that we see in the in the Hebrew translation of the Bible but uh, was he really a dresser of sycamore trees and a shepherd Uh, are these uh, just giving us some sort of an identity. Well, it's very possible Levites were often uh, shepherds as well as Levites. Uh, They made their own living. They provided uh, the services to the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The synagogue was ten families, and they would pick a minister, and those ministers would gather together with other ministers, and this would create sort of an internet, a network uh, across the entire nation and bind them together through their daily sacrifice. What was their sacrifice? Their sacrifice was to take care of the needy of society. If if people fell on hard times or people needed help and uh, you would be giving on a regular basis and this would allow a flow or circulation of assistance moving through society. Of course, within the ten family group, they would be helping one another, uh, sometimes directly, you know, at harvest time. They might all go over and ha- help with a harvest if there was a roundup and a guy was a cattleman that didn't have a lot of barbed wire fences, so he might need to round up his cows and put them through a corral and maybe butcher some for a feast or whatever they had to do to take care of their livestock. Uh, sometimes it required more than just them. And people would pitch in. People do that out here in this country. Uh, they'll, they'll often move cows on a, on a weekend because there's lots of people who will take time off to come and help them move cows. Uh, there was a fella just north of us who was killed in an auto accident. He was, uh, 
going from irrigation line to irrigation line with a motorcycle and uh, he ended up getting hit by a car and was killed. Nobody even said anything. All the neighbors showed up to hay his field. They knew his, they could see his fields were ready to be hayed. There was still a wife and children and uh, they were a little bit overwhelmed and so just hay machinery showed up and hayed his fields. And uh, that's that's very common out here. And, of course, that's a lot of expense, a lot of fuel, uh, string uh, to make all the bales, uh, fuel to pick up the bales, to stack the bales. But everybody just pitched in and just did it. There's no questions asked. And that's very common in some rural places. It's not very common in neighborhoods today. People don't even know you're sick. They don't even know, you, you know, maybe you had to go to the hospital. Maybe you had to... Uh, uh, you're having other difficulties. They don't even know. Even in the churches, they often don't know. But Israel was set up in this way that the ministers of Israel were the information source of Israel because they were meeting every week. They weren't just talking sermons. They were finding out what's going on. Uh What's the news from the Ridamark? What's the news from Samaria? What's the news from other places? And you'd find this out and share and you would keep the people informed. And they would look to those ministers to keep them informed. And if they did a good job and they did a good job with making sure no widows and orphans fell through the cracks, uh, they would be supported by the people. And their sacrifices were free will offerings. This is the way they conducted. But, of course, like I said, by this time, the 8th century, with uh, King Jeroboam II, there was already a divided kingdom. And how did the kingdom get divided? Well, they sought to have a king. Before that, every man was king in his own castle. And they got along pretty good for hundreds of years. But there were problems. But, of course, there were problems when they decided to have a king like Saul. They were warned that there would be problems. If you if you decide to have a ruler who can exercise authority, they tell you in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 16, and through that area, that uh, there's at least five things you should put in, right down in your constitution to limit the power of that chief executive officer, that king, that uh, that ruler. Because if you give him too much power, it will corrupt him and he will end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And when you cry out, God will not hear you. At least that's what it says in Samuel 8. And that we see it actually in a number of the prophets warn us that we would not be heard if we go certain ways. And Amos is no different talking about how we will make choices and there will be repercussions because of those choices and we will have no salvation in this world because we made those choices. Until we repent and go back, return to the ways of God, we're going to be stuck and suffer the consequences of our choices. He also appears in his writings, this is kind of a unique thing. No, it's not completely unique with Amos, but it, it, it certainly stands out with Amos that he utilizes the ancient hymns uh, 
in his prophecies. There's an actual poetic nature to what he has written down. And when we see extra letters again on many of the words that give us certain nuances, sometimes the translators take this into consideration. Sometimes I don't think they take it into consideration enough. And if you go through and read a lot of the different commentaries on Amos or on any of the prophets, you'll see there's a wide variety of opinions. But even those opinions are within the scope of modern religion. Now, that would be fine, except for the fact that the modern church has gone pretty much the way of Israel. They they didn't just divide into two kingdoms. They've divided into 40,000 different denominations. And so Christianity is pretty much a scattered flock. They certainly don't all sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. As a matter of fact, they've done absolutely the opposite of what Jesus Christ said to do while still professing Jesus Christ and saying that they're doing great things and they're having these wonderful altar calls and and people have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. But those same people are still going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, despite the fact that one of the last instructions given to his apostles by Christ was that we were not to be that way. We were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but provide benefits for the people. Because, of course, as Peter tells us, that's a covetous practice, and it will turn you into merchandise and curse your children. And, of course, Amos is telling the people of Israel uh, under Jeroboam uh, that that's exactly what's going to happen, that is happened already to you, because he's coming upon the scene that, that they're not going that way. They've already gone that way, and many of the repercussions that come from going that way have already come upon the people. And so uh, Amos warns uh, uh, Jeroboam the second in Amos in chapter six, uh, verse thirteen, of boasting concerning his own strength. And in verse three, he warns that he is drawing to a place of violence and oppression of the poor, giving into the wantonness which does not bear fruit. And of course, we go to Jesus Christ, who's telling the Pharisees that, uh, you know, that the kingdom's going to be taken from them because, clearly, because they're not bearing fruit. They're not doing what Christ said to do. They're doing something contrary to what Christ said to do. And we see the same thing in Hosea and in Joel, as well as Amos, and also in Jonah. All, all the minor prophets are talking about the people because of their false religion ge- degenerating into what, you know, Polybius calls perfect savages. And of course that, that same process was taking place at the time of Christ's appearance and the Pharisees through their Corbin were making the word of God to none effect. And we're going to see how all this is connected together, uh, turning the fruit of righteousness into hemlock, which we see in 
in uh, chapter 6, verse 12. But uh, they don't always translate that word hemlock, and we'll see how they translate things a little differently, which can sometimes create confusion. And so we'll try to get to Amos and not be confused, as most Christians are confused today, or most people calling themselves Christians, because by the nature of the word Christian, it means a follower of Christ, somebody who's following and seeking, you know, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is what Christ told us to do. So a Christian would be somebody who's seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God according to the way, the way of Christ, the way that Christ laid out for us and explained and commanded us to follow. So if you're not doing what Christ commanded, what he said to do, uh, what he said, and you are doing what he said not to do, then you're not really a Christian. You may say you're a Christian, you may say you're saved, you may say, Lord, Lord, but you haven't really accepted the real Christ you created an image of Christ in your mind through your eschatologies and epistemologies, and that's what you actually worship. You worship your opinion of God rather than God himself. And, of course, that's why Christ eventually comes to the people, and they come to him and say, yeah, we've done all kinds of great things in your name and all this. And he says, yeah, get ye from me. I don't even know you. Why doesn't he know them? Because they don't know him. They're not pursuing the way of Christ. They're actually going contrary to the way of Christ with their false religion. They think, well, all I have to do is accept Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior. But in the reality, you're actually going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, one over the other and asking those men, please take away from my neighbor... So that I can have more stuff, so that I can have free stuff, so that I can have benefits. We just heard the news before we went on the air where they were talking about all the benefits. And that people aren't going back to work because of all the benefits. They got they got unemployment greater than that of uh, uh, what they would make if they went back to work. They have enhanced unemployment. And so they don't want to go back to work. And they've become accustomed to not going back to work. Somebody asked me just last night, where does that money come from? It's made up. Just like people's gods. <laughs> and people's religion. They make it up. They invent it. They just print it. It's debt. They borrow money against your children, which is how you curse your children. So somebody asked uh, this week... Uh, they were asked about the stimulus check, and they said they didn't take it. And the other guy said, well, I did take mine, because I pay all kinds of money into taxes. I paid thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in taxes last year, so yeah, I'm taking back what I can give back. So it doesn't really work that way. If you owe the tax, you should pay the tax. But they're not, they're not giving you your money back. They, they tell you right on the news. You, the, the priests that you listen to in the news, because that's where your priests are, that's the priests of your knowledge and information, they tell you that they're just going to borrow another trillion dollars. Who are they borrowing it from? Future of your children. 
So when you take that stimulus, and I, I can't tell you not to take it or to take it or anything. I'm just telling you what it is. That you're putting your children farther and farther into debt. And they're pretty far in debt right now. You're pretty far in debt right now. I don't, I don't know what country you're in when you're listening to this, but it really doesn't make any difference because they've all gone after that. And we'll see eventually where Amos talks about the whole world following after these ways that are not the ways of Christ. So anyway, back to, uh, Amos, who's supposedly this herdman from Tekoa. There's a variety of meanings to that word, uh, T-E-K-O-A, as we spell it in the English. It's actually in the Hebrew. It's Tov. Kuf. Let's see, can I remember? Bob. Ayan. You know, what does it mean? It's, it, it actually means a stockade. And so, is he really from that, t- that town? Or is he from a place that it would be considered a stockade or a fortress? Is, is that an actual mean to the word, uh, to the name, or is that a metaphor? Because uh, when we look at uh, how that word is spelled in Amos, there's an extra letter added on to it. It's Mimtov, uh, not just Tov, Kuf, but Mimtov, Kuf, Vav. So, why did they add this extra letter? Is it because there's actually they're trying to tell you something about the character of Amos? And it's not essential to understanding, but we will mention these kinds of things where they add these extra letters all the time because there's meaning in those letters. And they're not just adding them, just, you know, like the French, just add another letter. There, there's actually adding a meaning and nuance to what he's trying to tell you. You know, this, the kuf, that has to do with the redemption or, or fallen spark. The divine spark is the yod, and so you have this, uh, the redemption of the fallen spark, because when we, we sinned against God, we were separated, and so we needed this redemption. So, that's actually, that meaning is actually within that word. Tav, of course, is the word for faith. The letter for faith. And uh, we see it in many words and added to many words when they're talking about a subject that has to do with faith. And then, of course, Mim has to do with the flowing of water. And so, is, is this the flowing of faith towards redemption with a connection uh, to the divine providence? Is that really what these letters are saying, or are they just saying what his hometown is? Well, it could be both. It could be both. And so, anyway, but we'll look at a lot of different letters and a lot of different words as we're going through this, but uh, the reality is the people were degenerating, like Polybius said, into perfect savages, because they were doing all these things wrong that they were not supposed to be doing. And Amos lists many of them off. And again, he has this sort of uh, poetic style, uh, picking on these hymns. And so he'll say many of the things that we'll see from other prophets, but he'll say them with slightly different words. 
in order to fit into his poetic, you know, style. And so we should look at that so that we see this common theme that we find throughout the, the prophets. So the day of the Lord is simply the point at which the consequences of doing contrary to the formula for God's kingdom, this formula for eternal life, catches up with the people or the, the people as a whole nation. Those who understand the true meaning of these prophecies can see the process as it unfolds and may provide for it. Because it's unfolding again in our own times. Every generation you will see this unfolding both on a national basis or on an individual basis. Uh, but it's, it appears when I look at it at the news that we are heading for some very worldwide traumatic situations. But if we're really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we're going to be prepared. We'll be prepared individually by the Holy Spirit. We'll be prepared uh, because the consequences of actually believing in Christ and the evidence of that belief is in doing what Christ said. Because a lot of people say they believe in Christ. You know, they I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus, you know, walked the earth. Well, Satan believes all those things. But he doesn't do what Jesus says. So it's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. You have to be a doer of the word. Not that that doing of the word earns you salvation. But it is evidence as to whether your faith is living faith or if your faith is dead. Because faith without works is dead. I mean, you can pick and choose what you want to believe in the Bible, but then you're not going to have the whole truth. You have to take the whole truth and understand what the prophets were trying to tell you because the whole world is going back after systems of idolatry and covetous practices and and greed and avarice and fear and anxiety. And the ministers who should be telling you what is true and what you should be doing and how you should be following the ways of Christ, they're not telling you. They are supposed to be a mountain of watchmen showing you the truth and so that you can find the whole truth and seek the righteousness of God, but they are not. Uh, instead, you're going to CNN and NBC and all the news people, and they're not telling you the truth. But we will when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, like I said, we'll, we'll get right into Amos. Uh, and Amos is a contemporary of Joel and evidently quoted Joel and Peter found it important to quote Joel. And so, Amos is probably important. <laughs> so, anyway, we're going to take a look at some of the things that Amos said and see if we can't figure out what the message that he was imparting had to do with the people of that time and see if any of it applies to people of our time, including ourselves. So the words of Amos, as we see at the beginning of uh, chapter 1, 
who was among the herdmen of Tokoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn. The top of of Carmel shall wither. Now, Carmel is a mountain, but Carmel is also a word that has a meaning, and we'll, we'll take a look at some of those meanings. The same as earthquakes. Earthquakes could be an earthquake, or could be a major event, uh, where there, you know, the society is shaken. Uh, certainly a major earthquake, we just had an earthquake in Oregon this morning, it wasn't a major earthquake, but uh, it was over there on the coast. But uh, it probably was felt by those people locally, but evidently there was no tidal wave, no disastrous destruction of buildings. I think it was uh, 5.9 or somewhere around that. And there was a couple of aftershocks. But uh wasn't a big thing. But earthquake always in the Bible does not always mean earthquake. So, anyway, we'll take a look at that. But he talks about the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And uh, now, one of those things, I mean, are we going to actually hear the Lord's voice, you know, coming out of some place called Zion? or, Or is it the... You know, God's voice created the heavens and earth according to the way in which the Bible is written. So, when they say about the voice of God uh, coming upon Jerusalem or heard in Jerusalem, is it really just the creative effect of the power of God being manifested in Jerusalem and in Israel? That... Because you've gone a certain way, the consequences will be realized. And of course, that's really what Amos is all about. And we'll see that more and more as we go through each individual chapter. But uh, the shepherds shall mourn. Are they talking about men who herd sheep? Or are we talking about shepherds of society? Because who are your shepherds of society? Well, you know... My sheep hear my voice. We hear Christ talking about that. Who are you listening to? Are you know? I hear people all the time saying today that they're following the science. They're actually following the media. <laughs> they're not following the science. If you the media says, "Oh yeah, you have to wear a mask." Oh no, you don't have to wear a mask. Oh, you know, you have to social distance. Oh, you know. What well, what's the case? What's really going on when you actually talk to the top scientists in these fields today? They're often saying the opposite of what you're hearing in the news. But people don't hear those scientists because they don't get into the news. As a matter of fact, they're canceled or they're they're hidden away or they're they're uh you know, uh, covered by Facebook or Google or what have you. You don't get to hear what they have to say. So your shepherds 
or your news media. And now some of you may go to a church and that church may talk about somebody named Jesus. I don't know if it's the real Jesus they talk about. They may pick out quotes out of the Bible they like, but they may not mention other quotes from Jesus that they don't like. And you wouldn't know. Even if you read the Bible, you will stick with the path that you hear most commonly. You will, just like people have this scenario in the news, there's a scenario in those 40,000 different denominations that keep the sheep scattered. So Christians aren't all together. They're not working together, this denomination, that denomination. They are really a scattered flock because... The common denominator of these preachers is not Christ. If it was, they would not leave out some of the important quotes of Christ. You know, like, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You know, Jesus, Paul, the apostles, all after the crucifixion were talking about not coveting and not having anything to do with people that covet. And warning you that if if you get engaged in covetous practices, which would be like asking men who exercise authority to take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits, that would be a covetous practice. You know, like, you know, tax all my neighbors so that I can have free education for my kids. That's that's covetous. That that's a covetous practice. That will make you merchandise according to Peter. And it will curse your children. And But you think it's okay because your preacher didn't say, you know, that's a covetous practice. We should, we should be creating our own schools or homeschooling. Your preacher's not telling you that. He, he's not preaching what Christ said. He's saying, oh, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. If you do it through government, then it's okay. Yet Christ said you're not to be like the governments of <laughs> the other nations who engage in these covetous practices of going to men who exercise authority to get benefits at your neighbor's expense. That's that's certainly not loving your neighbor. That's because you want somebody to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. I mean, that's a no-brainer. It shouldn't be hard to figure out. But it's different than what they've been telling you, so it can't be true. Because if it's true, you're a worker of iniquity. You're doing contrary to Christ. You're, you're in a, your church is in apostasy. Your church is false religion. Your, your church is not gonna bear real fruit. It's gonna, gonna talk about Christ, you know, and have, you know, some evidence of Christian principles in their epistemology, in their teachings, but they're not going to actually do what Christ said. I mean, that that's a lot of inconvenience. You know, even though we know the early Christians were persecuted simply because they wouldn't sign up for the free bread of Rome, the, which is run through the temples of Rome. You know, in the last couple of days, several people have asked me, well, what did they do in the temples? And and someone pointed out that, what was it, January 6th, when there was supposedly this insurrection. I, 
I didn't see an insurrection. I saw few people, you know, I saw guards opening up gates and letting people into the state, the, the federal capitol building. I, I, I saw some people storming barricades. Of course, I, I saw that all summer, people storming barricades. I saw people all summer throwing Molotov cocktails at federal buildings. <laughs> And, and pulling down chain link fences and trying to blind, uh, guards who were protecting, you know, with laser, uh, beams and throwing rocks at guards. That went on all, I'm out here in Oregon and that was going on every day up in Portland <laughs> all night long. Uh, but I did see some people storm the Capitol. Very small number of the people that were in Washington DC at that time. And they called it some kind of insurrection. I mean, the, the, that was a pretty poor insurrection. <laughs> so I, I think somebody got out of hand and, you know, some people did things they shouldn't do. But it was interesting, somebody pointed out that Pelosi said, you defiled our temple. Referring to the events of January 6th. That is your temple. That, that's where your prophets live. That's where you get your free breath. You don't pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come when thy will be done. You do the will of your fathers in Washington. And they give you your daily bread. They provide you your daily welfare checks, stimulus checks, unemployment checks. You get all those things from men who exercise authority one over the other. But you call on yourself a Christian. Christians were put to death because they wouldn't sign up for such freebies. Because they would be signing up with men who exercise authority. And this is a no-brainer. Most of the people claiming to be Christian aren't following Christ. They're not following the Christ that we see talking in the Bible. And they're certainly not doing what Amos was trying to tell us. They're doing what Amos said they shouldn't be doing. And there would be this consequence for doing that. And so, and this is why the top of Carmel shall wither. And like I said, we'll look at that word Carmel. But verse 3, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Iron Instruments of iron would be like instruments of force. But they have threshed Gilead. And now, was it an actual town Gilead? Or was is Gilead representing an idea? Is it a metaphor? And what is the transgressions of Damascus? So these are things that we're going to have to look at. But we're going to read through it and then we're going to take a look at some of these things. And you can ponder it until then. But he says, But I will send a fire into the house of Hazel, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus. And cut off the inhabitants of the plain of Aven. 
See, he's mentioning all these places. Are these actually places or are these representing ideas? And him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into captivity. And then he goes on to say, Unto Ker saith the Lord. So, what are all these places? What are all these things? And what captivity are they going into? The the word that they have there for captivity is uh, Gala, which is Gimel Lamad Hay, which is a primitive root. And it actually means uncover or discover or captive or carry away or reveal. I mean, it's defined as uncover or remove. And so, what, what, what are they really talking about in these, you know, this gimel is actually, uh, a word that stands for reward and punishment. Cause and effect. And like I always say, we live in a cause and effect universe. And God's laws are built into the universe. If you go a certain way, certain effects will take place. If you go another way, other effects will take place. So you have choice as to which way you're gonna go. But you don't have choice as to picking and choosing the effect of that first choice. So if you decide to go the way of covetous practices, you can't simply arbitrarily decide not to become merchandise. And uh, I noticed somebody posted something on the network, and I, I was going to go back, but I was I've been in in the office preparing for the last uh, four hours before the show or three and a half hours before the show. But uh, I saw somebody posted something talking about, uh, you know, color of law. And uh, I, I will have to go and take a look at what they're saying. The reality is, is that nobody is putting us into bondage. Nobody is stealing our rights away. We are losing access to our rights because we are either slothful in the ways of righteousness or we are actually engaged in covetous practices. You know, like we went to free, got free public education. Our parents sent us to public school. Well, that has a consequence. Uh, not only are you going to get a poor education and <laughs> not be taught stuff that you probably should know, you're receiving the tutor of those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. There's a consequence to that. Now, uh, you know, actually we had uh, a midwife visiting for the last, they were going to visit for a day. They were passing through Oregon. They ended up enjoying themselves. They stayed for two days. <laughs> but... They were talking about uh, a recent article they were going to send me. I was even going to have them on the program this afternoon, but I think they're going to have to go before then. But uh, where if you interfere with the natural birthing process, such as have a cesarean, which has now become kind of, you know, a gauche thing to, you know, you pick your day and you just have a cesarean. You don't have to wait and labor. You know, they just knock you out. They take the cesarean and you don't have to go through all the, that problem. And supposedly it's easier. 
but in reality it's not. There's all kinds of complications with it. And in some countries they're actually not allowing people that option unless there's an actual medical emergency because they're seeing all the problems that come with that. But people say, yeah, just do that, you know. And while you're having your cesarean, you can get your COVID shot. You know, just do that. That's okay. No problem. Well, there are problems, and they're just not telling you. But that's because you got the wrong shepherds. you got the wrong prophets. But what this new study is coming out saying that children who end up coming cesarean instead of natural birth, they they end up having trouble with eczema and psoriasis and, and other autoimmune problems. And uh, they're set up for life to have those problems because they weren't born naturally. There's a huge number of children that now, because they can go back and look at the data, that if you go this way and interfere with the natural birthing process, they have all kinds of health issues that follow certain patterns. It's built in. Now, at the particular time, there are things you could do to prevent that if you did have to have a cesarean. But, uh, and that's what some of these people, medulas and stuff like that, are learning. But what can you do to reverse that process when the child is 10 years old or 12 years old or 14 years old and still having that problem, having those problems? Well, there's all kinds of things you can do and you have to learn them because of what the word gimel means. The letter gimel means it means cause and effect. It's built into the system. If you stray from the formula, consequences will take place. And so, like I said, that uh, we can go up and look at this go into captivity. It's not the actual word that normally is captivity, although it's translated captivity a number of times. I think about 28 times it's translated captivity, but about 34 times it's translated just uncover, or 29 times discover, or 22 times carry away. So they they take the same word, and sometimes they translate it different ways because of the fact that there's another letter that they didn't tell you about (laughs) if you don't look at the original script. And, you know, the author was inspired All the translators are not inspired. All the ministers who tell you what the translators are telling you are not inspired. But ultimately, what you want to do is you want to be inspired. Because you don't want to go into captivity. But of course, you already have. So, So now we have to find out what's the real remedy. Denying cause and effect. Denying the real source of your bondage or captivity is not the solution. And it's not going to draw you near the solution. What draws you near the solution? What draws you near Christ? What draws the Holy Spirit to you? Well, that's what seeking the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness of God is all about. And so, anyway, in verse 6 we see, Thus saith the Lord... For three transgressions of Gaza. So now we have the transgressions of Gaza and the transgressions of Damascus. And for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captive. 
And that's that same word again. The whole captivity. But here they're saying, you know, there they said, shall go into captivity. Here they say, carried away captive. The whole captivity. But the word whole captivity, captivity there is a little bit different word. <laughs> so it's, uh, that, that gimel, lamad, but vav and a tov. So you see that they, they rearrange, you got the, the same letters. Instead of gimel, lamad, hey, it's gimel, lamad, Vav, the hay's gone, Vav is put in there, and they put in the letter Tav, which is the letter for faith. And when he's saying the transgressions three, even four, that's part of that poetry. He's talking about you continuously done did this. You did it three times, and you even did it a fourth time. And you'll see him repeat that over and over again. And so you don't have to actually count the times. It's it's a way of saying in this poetic style of rep, repeating the same thing. And of course, that's what you're going to see throughout our studies of the prophets and the Bible is that man is the same yesterday as he is today. And so he's making the same mistakes over and over again. So when they talk about this transgression of Gaza... We have to go look at the word Gaza. And this study would become extremely long if we went and looked at every one of these. Basically, he goes on to say in verse eight, uh, 7, But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the captive from Ashkelon. And I will turn my hand against Ekron. And the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus, T-Y-R-U-S, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered us up the whole captivity to Edom. See, so he's he's saying that basically the same, and again, this is part of that poetry, but he's sewing in these different words. Is he talking about places again, or is he talking about principles and metaphors? And remember not the brotherly covenant. So he talks about delivered up the whole captivity again, this carrying away to Edom and remember not the brotherly covenant. Now, we'll talk about that brotherly covenant. That's a, that's a really important concept. And there's a number of different opinions out there as to what the brotherly covenant is. And they make it reference to King David, etc. But really the brotherly covenant is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We would not, if we actually loved our neighbors as ourselves, would we send men to our neighbor's house to force our neighbor to provide us with benefits? We wouldn't do that. When you engage in those covetous practices with men who exercise authority one over the other, 
You are not remembering the brotherly covenant of faith, hope, and charity and living by that faith, hope, and charity through love. You've, you've forgotten that. And if you've forgotten that, you will become a perfect savage. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in Amos and we're in this first chapter. And we were seeing this constant reference to three transgressions and for four. Meaning simply the repetition of transgressions. And he's identifying these transgressions with things, words like Damascus and uh, Tyrus. And uh, he even talks about this one, you know, three transgressions of Tyrus. And uh, he, he will not turn away from this punishment because they are delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. So this captivity or uncovering, this carrying away, the transgression is taking them to Edom. And then he goes on to say, but I uh, will send a fire to Tyrus. And then in verse 11 he says, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Edom. And for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually. And he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Termin, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. So what are the palaces of Basra? So they got all these names in there. And, you know, people are going to be looking on a map and trying to figure, well, he's going to do this. But, I mean, they they carried the captivity to Edom and then they talk about the transgression of Edom. And so what is this? And really this is again part of his poetry and what he's trying to impart here to us in this cause and effect universe is if you go down this road a little way you will come to this concept. And then you go down that road a little bit farther and you will come to another turning point or concept. And then you go down a little bit farther and you will come to another one. And so what's happened in in their history is that they decided to have a king. Now, by the time they got to the point where they decided to have a king with Samuel 8, they had already taken several turns where they were, you know, uh, not being as forgiving as they should, not taking care of the needy as they should. They were having corruption. Men were taking bribes. Who was taking bribes? There was no government but the Levites. There were no kings in Israel. So who was taking bribes? It was the Levites taking bribes. Well, if ten families got together and picked the Levite minister to be their minister and they caught him taking bribes well what's the big deal they just say well we're not going to give to you anymore that would keep them honest we're not going to donate to you we're not going to support you as a matter of fact we're going to pick a different guy 
And they could do that anytime they wanted. There was no top-down, you know, like, this is your Levite, you have to t- accept him. The, there was no Pope. There's nobody doing it. It was not top-down, it was bottom-up. So, who was taking bribes back then that they... And, and why was there such a difficulty? There were some there were some criminals going around and raiding people and some Philistines and kind of Amalek characters... And they needed to defeat them. And so they decided they had to have a king, you know, a commander-in-chief to defeat them. Why did why did they have to do that? And why were Samuel's sons taking bribes? And what? how was this all operating in that particular form of government that they had? Most people don't realize that early Israel, before there were kings... It was classified in, in many encyclopedias as the earliest republic because the leaders, who were the Levites, were titular in name only. They they didn't have any real power. They had power over what you gave them, but if you didn't like what they were doing with what you gave them, you didn't have to give them anymore. You could give to a different Levite. You were constantly in a state. Every day was an election day in Israel. Because your offering to your Levite was your vote of offering. You're saying, I like the way you do things. I'm going to support your ministry. I mean, when even as late as when Alexander the Great marched into Israel or Judea, he came and the Levites are the one who came out to meet him. And he actually knelt down before them because they understood that this was this is an amazing form of government. Now, this is, of course, when they were well into their corruptive state, but that's what we're seeing here in Amos where he's saying you, you make the choice to go this way and this is going to take place. You make the choice at that point to go this way and something else will take place. And so there's this process of going. So you had the process of deciding to have a king because of this corruption. And Samuel tells you that he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking. He's going to take the first of your fruits. He's going to appoint men over you. He's going to take your children. He's going to make take your sons and make them run before his chariots. He's just going to take and take and take and take and take. And then when you cry out, I'm not even going to hear you. So that he's explaining that process of wanting to have the king. But what are the other things? If you're slothful, you shall be under tribute. He tells us that in Proverbs. So, again, what was the bribes? Because we're, we're dwelling on this a little bit because Amos talks about bribes. By the time we get up to uh, chapters 5 and 6, we start seeing that show up. So who is taking bribes? And how were they doing it? And why couldn't you just resolve it by saying, I'm not going to pick you as a minister anymore? Well, remember that they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They were organized that way by Joshua even before Jethro. It's just Jethro was saying uh, that don't take all the the, the, uh, judicial issues to Moses. Settle that also amongst the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But it only goes up through that 
cities of refuge that we hear Moses setting up as an appeals court. So, locally, maybe somebody made a decision because, you know, that it involved a couple congregations and somebody decided something unfairly, so they would appeal it up to the Levites because that's the next level of the network is Levites, who are supposed to be in the business of charity. I mean, once you understand, you go back and study the altars of clay and stone, and you understand that the these Levites were living stones gathered together to form a network of charity to support the nation, whether it was widows and orphans, or if there was a war and there were... Injured people who had to be taken care of, uh, whether there was a famine, whether there was fire, whatever. The Levites were at the center of relief and aid. They were even sending out aid to neighbors, neighboring nations. And we explain that in the article on the Red Heifer, which we will have to visit during Amos because... Amos talks about heifers as well. They only mention the sacrifice of the red heifer one place in the Bible. And almost nobody understands that there are actually people out looking for a red cow with no hairs that are anything but red hairs, which is really hard to find because you just bump a cow and they could get a bruised hair follicle and it will turn white. <laughs> so they say, oh, can't accept them. There's, there's a white hair here. But... The, the sacrifice of the red heifer has nothing to do with a cow <laughs> or a heifer and has nothing to do with the color red. And this is total confusion because they don't understand the Hebrew language. And they want to keep you in confusion. Now, that's a bold statement on my part, but if you go back and look at our articles on red heifer, on altars of clay and stone. We'll lay it out for you and then you're going to have to ask the Lord for your divine inspiration as to what makes sense. Because we live in a cause and effect universe. If you go down thinking that we have to pile up stones, kill sheep and set them on fire, you've already gone down a road of confusion. And you're not going to understand the rest of the Bible. So you have to Get some of the basics, because so, there, there's no way on earth killing sheep and burning them up on piles of stone is going to unite a nation to defend each other in the time of war. In those days, what they did in war is that you had, you know, a thousand guys line up with really sharp things, and they charge a thousand guys with a bunch of really sharp things. And they have at it. And blood flows. How in the world is burning up sheep on piles of stone going to unite the forces of Israel? (laughs) How in the world is it going to unite all the people around Abraham so that he could defeat the, the kings, the five kings who defeated Sodom and Gomorrah? In one night. Because they burned up sheep together? How naive are you? No. It that it was systems of charity. It was always living stones. Lively stones. Like you see in the first century church. 
taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's always been the way of Christ. It's always the way of God. There was nothing in there about piling up dead stones and burning up dead sheep. That's not what they're talking about. Now, I know you're going to say, well, well, what about this? What about that? Go look at our articles. Go, go, go see how we lay this out so you can see it. Now, if you don't want to see it, you're not going to see it, no matter what I tell you. But what we're sharing with you is how it really works. And we're going to also share with you how it's not working in the world today because you're not following the way of Christ. You're not actually doing what Christ said to do. You're not doing it with the same spirit and you're not going to bear the same fruit that the early church bore. As a matter of fact, because you continually done this, these three transgressions, and even four, you're going to suffer the consequences. You want to change that, you have to repent. What is repenting? Thinking a different way. Well, we're giving you the tools to think a different way. But you have to chi- decide to think that different way. So, otherwise, you're in a lot of trouble. Because this is what he's saying. If we go back to verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword. And did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman which shall devour the palaces of Basra. Basra means fortress. So the palaces that should be your fortress will be destroyed, devoured. They won't be there for you. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their borders, but I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof, which shouting in the day of battle, with a tempered in the day of the whirlwind. There's one more verse there, but before we go there, let's go back a little bit. Because all these prophecies... You know, they're repetitious because the principles are repetitious. And Amos is using all these words like Gilead and Ammon and, and Eden. And I'm not going to tell you what they all mean. You can look them up and, and call upon the Holy Spirit yourself to find out. And, you know, I, I share a few things like Basra is fortress because that's going to show up again. Uh, because you need a shepherd of Basra, a shepherd of the fortress. In in reality, but also in spirit, to help guide you back to the right thinking of Christ, the right thinking of the Rosh Hashanah, the right thinking 
of God. Because that's what repentance is. It's going back to that righteous way. So, he's talking about this going into captivity and this uh, returning to these uh, uh, punishments that are inevitable if you go this other way. And he's talking about this turn away the pun. I will not turn away the punishment because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead that they might enlarge their borders. So what is this Gilead? And who are these women with child? Now in America today we have a huge number of people that are aborting children. They're, they're ripping the children out of their wombs. They go in to have it done. And uh, they actually tear the child apart in the womb to get the child out. Or they uh, uh, poison it and then they tear the, you know, the, the dead fetus out. But sometimes they will actually take a fetus out, tearing it apart limb from limb in order to get it out while the baby is still alive. So what is that all about? What what is what are the consequences of that? And and he's talking about uh, that they might enlarge their borders. Well, we're we're coming on a, a time where microbiologists, epidemiologists, top scientists, top quoted scientists in the world are making reference, and I quote here to a decimation of the human population. Even if you go to to uh, uh, some of these guys, these these real smart smart guys uh, like uh, Elon Musk, uh, he says we're not facing overpopulation. Now I I know people like Bill Gates was talking about overpopulation years ago, and supposedly they got into the vaccines in order to do something about overpopulation, and uh, they have what they say today is their rhetoric around those subjects. But I know what they used to say. I'm old enough to remember what they used to say, even in private conversations. They wanted to reduce the world's population. But uh, Elon Musk says we're not facing overpopulation. We're facing population collapse. And we're seeing it in Europe. Europe wouldn't have enough people to man the factories except for they've been importing people from other countries. Unfortunately, they've been bringing their cultures and they've been losing their own culture. And that's one of those transgressions that you abandon certain elements of your culture. See, when Israel abandoned the idea of being king in each household and having the responsibility to pick your minister, ten families pick their minister, then that minister gets together with nine other ministers and picks his minister. That's a skill. That's an art. And if you don't do it with earnest and diligence, somewhere up the line, somebody will take a bribe. They, what happens is you get, you, maybe there's some rich people that took you to court, or you took them to court because they stole from you, and you tried to prove it in court, and maybe they carried such influence in the community, the local community didn't decide in your favor. You got a raw deal. 
happens all the time. Seen it in the South, seen it, you know, growing up. I was in courtrooms when I was a kid. My dad would take me into a courtroom. And I was still, you know, underage kid. Take me into his office when I was, you know, barefoot in shorts. <laughs> so, uh, I saw this corruption. And it, it's always been around because people are corrupt. People are selfish. They don't care about their neighbor. Everybody doesn't care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. So you get this injustice. But if you really work at such a system of grassroots justice, you will say, hey, you voted for that minister. That minister took a bribe. This is unjust. I I came down here to see this trial and I've seen injustice. Who is responsible? And you would call them out. But they didn't do that. They got lazy. They got slothful. And so rich men were having too much influence in the higher echelons of the Levites, which was the appeals courts. You go read our article on cities of refuge. That's simp- You're not running to another city and all the fast runners get away with murder. No. It was an appeals court you are appealing to. And that's going back and looking at the language again. But there was corruption in that court. And instead of resolving it from the grassroots, caring not only about the people in your congregation, but the next congregation and the next village, as much as you care about your own justice and rights, you, what happened is that you said, let's have a king. And he will make things right. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's one of those terms. That's one of those transgressions that is going to lead to corruption and destruction. And of course, that's what happened. And I see it happening today. We have water rights issues over in Klamath here in Oregon. And the people are all camping out along the, the within feet, I guess, now of the t- head gates. And they're talking about opening them up. Uh, because there, there's other people. And the people talk about, you know, they're saving some fish and there's a drought. And there is a drought this year. But the reality is not about the fish. The big money behind this was the power company way down the river that services California. Follow the money. And I don't hear hardly anybody talking about that. But I know that's where it's going. But they think that they're going to solve this problem by some sort of insurrection. Some sort of, you don't have the right to do this. But they're not, I know the people in the people's rights things, they're not, they should name the group not people's rights, but people's responsibility. That's what Christianity, people taking back their responsibility. Not people just simply trying to take back their rights. Because then, if they were doing that, then all those people would be taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and not sending their kids to public school, and sending their parents to Social Security, which are all bankrupt systems, in order to get what they want. They would be taking care of one another. Then they would have the bonds needed to fight real injustice when it did show up. They would have their basra, their fortress. They would be their walls. But they're not doing that. They've all gone into captivity and they're shaking their fist at their masters. And we'll see Amos talking about that in subsequent chapters. 
And so I'm I'm laying the groundwork, and that's really what Amos is doing, talking about all these transgressions. That you've decided, you don't have just weights and measures, you know, like Israel over there in the Middle East, they somehow, people think that has to do with Israel and the Bible. They're breaking every rule that Moses ever laid down. They don't have just weights and measures. They have a compulsory draft. When David instituted a compulsory draft and started numbering the people for his draft, he stopped doing it. He repented of it. They haven't repented of it over there in Israel. They're not only drafting the men, they're drafting the women. They're not following the rules of Moses. That's not Israel. That's someplace calling itself Israel. Paris, Texas ain't Paris. And just because you call something Israel doesn't make it Israel. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. You have to be a real follower of Christ to be a real Christian. You have to, to be Israel, you have to be the people that God prevails. If the people there are breaking all the rules, and I'm talking in generalities here, I'm not talking about everybody over there, but there, there's a consequence. Because they, they don't have just weights and measures, they have a draft, they have compulsory income tax, a graduated income tax, worse than that of the bondage of Egypt, so they've returned all the people to the bondage of Egypt. Because that's where you, you know, bondage to Egypt is where you, one fifth of your labor belongs to the government. They get to take it and you don't have any choice about it. So all these are transgressions against the ways of God. And you're doing not one, not two, not three, even four you're doing. And you expect that God's going to hear you in your day of calamity. Not going to happen. You've gone against the ways of God. You're doing contrary to the ways of God. Not just one place, not just two places, not just three places, not just four places, but even five. And you expect God to save you. Well, no, you have to repent. You have to think differently. You have to think and seek the righteousness of God, and it isn't righteous to covet your neighbor's good and to force your neighbor to do this. That's why we've come down to the point where people want to force you to get a vaccination. They're already, you're already forcing one another, taking a bite out of one another to get benefits. That's what you're doing. Amos later on will talk about your teeth are clean. Your teeth aren't clean. There's blood in your teeth. You've been taking a bite out of one another to get the benefits from men who exercised authority. So you've gone back into bondage. You've gone back into the bondage of Egypt. And you're going to suffer the consequences of this. And this is what Amos is talking about because they were doing the same thing back then. So now we're coming up on the last verse of Amos. And then we're going to go through some of our side notes. When we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're seeing here in the last of this first chapter that uh, the he's going to uh, send a fire that shall devour the palaces of the fortress, the Basra. And that uh, he's talking about uh, a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity. Their king shall go into captivity. And his princes together, saith the Lord. 
And the reality is that is that is really where we are at today. And that, that word captivity is, again, a little bit different than some of the other words captivity that we've already mentioned. It still has the uh, the gimel and the lamad, but it has an extra vav and then the hay at the end. So it's, it's talking about a kind of an exile. And uh, exile of what? Exile of the king, exile of the authority of the king or the power of the king. And, you know, when they wrote the American Constitution, or the U.S. Constitution, as you call it, uh, they did not put in four of the five things that were required in the Bible. So it's not a biblical document. You can go read our book, Covenants of the uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. It's free online. And uh, it will show you that there's no way on earth that the Bible is a biblical document. It is biblical that you can make covenants with people who don't really believe all the things that we should believe, <laughs> all the principles that we should live by. And unfortunately, the early Americans who put the Constitution together were unaware of these other five elements that you were supposed to write down, because they certainly didn't put it in that Constitution. I know several of the people that were a part of the original Constitution that think thought they they had regrets that they had set it up the way they did. But ultimately, it's our fault on a day-to-day basis because Christ gave us the solution and we're not following that solution. We're still chasing after these other solutions which are actually transgressions. And we should not be going in those in that direction. And so what's happened is even the princes and kings which we have chosen for ourselves, we call them congressmen and and uh, senators and presidents and prime ministers and what have you, but the reality is they've all gone into bondage too. The whole world has gone into bondage. And Amos lived in a time where these same principles were applying. And he's trying to give us that message. And we're going to show you and relate the message of Amos to our time. But first you have to begin to understand what the message of Amos was. So was this... Tokoa, that he was supposedly from a stockade, a protected place, also an instrument through which you blow, according to the definition of the word. It's not only a stockade, but it's an instrument through which you blow. So was Amos a shepherd of the people, not just sheep, but of the people, who sounded the warning of God through the Holy Spirit of faith? That he was this voice that to be heard around the, the world eventually, because I mean Amos' prophecies are all over the world today. But do people understand them? I told you that we mentioned Carmel, that uh, Carmel was also mentioned in Micah, and so Micah seven fourteen, which is a reference to being fruitful. And if if we look at the word Carmel which is Kufresh uh, Mim Lamad, it, it means a garden land, a garden place, a fruitful place. God wanted us to be fruitful. 
Jesus took the kingdom away from us because we were not being fruitful, or at least he took it away from the Pharisees because they were not being. He appointed it to the apostles so that they would be fruitful. But the people aren't doing what the apostles were doing. The, pe- the apostles were not going to Caesar and praying for his free bread. They wouldn't sign up for it. They were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity while they knew Caesar was taking care of one another through force, fear, and violence. He instituted the rule of violence. And the people had become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. And they were being changed into perfect savages. And so, yeah, the top of Carmel, the top of fruitfulness... The first fruits of your labor are gone before you even get them. The transgression of Damascus. This, Damascus was the capital of Syria. It's said to be uh, this transgression three, even four. This is an idiomatic phrase signifying multiplied or repeated delinquencies. And like I showed you, we have these repeated Delinquencies, And he talks about threshing instrument of iron. Well, this is, Israel was taken care of by free will offerings, which we call today charity. All their welfare, all their social welfare, their army, everything, free will offerings. We've gone farther and farther and farther away from that. And now we are ruled by men of iron who force the contributions to the people. Because you've made covenants with them, they have a right to do that. But even them have now gone into bondage and become subject. And so now you have this great world reset, whatever you want to call it. And it seems out of control and we, and the media is telling people things and they believe the people in the media. And you don't even have a choices anymore. You know, they've taken away your choices to what you will contribute to. They've taken away your choices to whether you can even go to church. And you have to social distance and wear a mask. And your ministers are all weak. And even the ones that do stand up, they don't stand up and say, we should be taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They still say it's okay to go to men who exercise authority one over the other and provide education, provide health care, provide for your social security they won't admit how wrong they've been so they have all been delivered up into the captivity of Edom and they have forgotten the brotherly covenant and like I said some suggest that that brotherly covenant is this uh, league between Hiram and David and afterwards with Hiram and Solomon. And you, you find it in Second Samuel uh, 5 and First Kings 5. But uh, the true brotherly covenant is when Israel was taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. Through those free will offerings. Through a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands in the practice of pure religion. And that what that's why they mention pure religion. That's the only time they mention religion in a good sense in the whole Bible. As pure religions when you take care of the needy of your society. The widows and orphans are usually the most needy of your society. You take care of them through charity. Unspotted by these constitutional orders and systems of government of the world that you set up for yourselves. 
which is just one of those many transgressions. The just weights and measures is another one. You can't go back instantly where you just simply go cold turkey and stop all those transgressions. You have to do it over a period of time. And that's why it says to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're not doing that. Instead, we oppress one another. We oppress, uh, you know, like in Proverbs 14.31, oppresseth the poor, reproacheth his maker. Uh, or Proverbs 17, whoso mocketh the poor, reproaches his maker. Or Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity to let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. We're not the household of faith anymore. We don't live by faith. We don't live by hope. We don't live by charity. Most people live by taking away from their neighbor. They've become accustomed to living at the expense of their neighbor, to forcing the contributions of their neighbor. They can't even imagine a society without that. And one of the guys who brought that about in America was Archibald McLeish. You know, back in the days of FDR, when FDR was saying, let's all have one purse, because that's what he was saying. The government will become your benefactor. It will take care of you. LBJ just compounded that with his great society and war on poverty, which destroyed communities. And we've gone from family being the core of a free society to 75% in some uh, some sections of society, 75% of the homes have one parent. Families have been destroyed and devastated. But Archibald MacLeish said, freedom is the right to choose. The right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. Or you could even say a person, because a person is a member. He's not a man anymore. He's not a dama. And that's what happened. We have taken away the right to choose for our neighbor and we're surprised when the right to choose for ourselves it seems to be gone. We we when you went to public school, were you being supported in public education because everybody chose to pay for your tuition? Chose to pay your teachers? I mean We've even got people who have left Black Lives Matter, not that you need this particular reason, but they left it because they said it was hijacked by the teachers' union. (laughs) There's a lot of other reasons you might want to leave Black Lives Matter, but it's divisionary. And that's what's happening all over the... We've all become members and persons, and we've taken away the choices of our neighbors. What you want to do is gather together... As Christ commanded, come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start the process of learning what it means to live as a free people. An intentional community that wants to take care of one another when there is real need. When you're just being lazy, I don't want to send you anything. Take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. We've gotten away from that. That's what made America great to begin with. 
Not that all of America was great. There's always been sinners in America. There were sinners in America before the Europeans arrived. There were sinners afterwards. There were people that were abusive and, and betrayed one another all the time. But you have to start gathering together with the people who gather in the name of Christ, which is going to give you the right to choose to take care of one another like the early church did. Because you're not doing that now. And so you need to repent of that and go the other way. So that brings us to Amos 2. But uh, there's actually a lot more that we're going to go through when we go through each of these chapters. And I, I've been going through them and putting together lots of notes on the subject. And of course we have lots of links already. Uh, to different sections and I will go over them I often go over each chapter bit by bit and that's one of the things in chapter 1 all those different names all have meanings and I could go through each individual one and start putting it together for you but basically what the message is is that we're not practicing pure religion we're practicing covetous practices We're not taking care of one another through love. We're going to men who exercise authority and asking them to take care of us. We're going to actually have our rights taken away, or at least no longer accessible. People will say, well, it's an A-level right, you can't take it away. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, you, you can have the right, but you can't do anything about it if you, if you're in prison, if you're locked up. And you should be locked up if you're going around. You know, thou shalt not murder, and thou shalt not steal, are all on the same list with thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's. You have said it's okay to covet the things of your neighbor. And you've said it not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but in a hundred different ways throughout your present society. This has brought you about to the point where now people are thinking it's okay to kill. As long as it's a baby in the womb, it's okay to kill. It's going to also be okay to push you in prison camps and re-educate you. It's also going to be okay to, you know, decimate the world population for the greater good. This is where their thinking goes. You know, you look out in the world today, we see all this craziness and insanity. And we think, like, where is this all coming from? We've been going down that road for a hundred years. And we do it step by step. Choice by choice. The way back is also choice by choice and step by step. So this step begins with, you know, caring about your neighbor as much and and sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and showing up for, you know, if the altars are living stones, if you don't show up to a minister call or to a congregational call, You didn't show up for the altar call. You may think it's really nice that, oh, I accepted Jesus on this day, April 12th, 1942, or whatever it was. But that's not accepting Jesus. 
that that's a nice little sales pitch. Accepting Jesus, I should see the works of Jesus in your life. You, when somebody says, "Oh, you can get free stuff over here," and you say, "Well, free stuff? Where did where did they get the free stuff? Oh, they took it away from other people." Well, I don't want that. That would be coveting my neighbor's goods. I I I, I couldn't do that. Well, where did you get that idea? That well, it's just in my heart. It just doesn't seem right. When they offered me free money at the government, I said, "Why?" Well, I don't know. I don't need that. No, no, we got all kinds of free money. Just come over here and you sign up. All you have to do is write your John Hancock down here and we'll get you free money. I wouldn't do it. And and they've offered it lots and lots of times. And I didn't know anything about the what I teach in Covenants of the Gods or Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. I just was written in me. I didn't want that. And I know a lot of other people that are that way. And I know a lot of other people who should be that way. So we have, you know, in this study of Amos, we have hundreds of links to other articles. Just going down the page real quick, I can see I can add dozens more links. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go to all those different links. But, you know... You, we have a link on there now in the first page on Amos to Joel. Because we already have a study on Joel. We've already done studies. You know, it's all actually on one page. Joel's pretty short. And I could probably go and enhance some of these studies and add more and more to them. But I can look right here is that there's, there's uh, you know, over 25 footnotes on the page. There's probably a hundred links to other articles. Joel talks a lot about things like palm worms, and, and we'll see Amos mention them as well. What what are these palm worms? These chewing locusts. Locusts. Well, it's it's your bureaucrats eating out your substance. I mean, that's what they said in the Declaration of Independence: swarms of officers eating out our substance. That's the locust. And that's, that's what they're doing. And it's, it's only going to get worse until you change. Governments will not change until men change. Yeah, they, some people, you know, they thought Trump was their salvation. How in the world could you imagine that? You know, I, I don't know, he may be a nice guy, but he's certainly not my salvation. And he he brought in the shutdown, brought in these vaccinations. Now more and more information is coming out about that. Although we had it from the beginning, we shared it with our network. But if you're not on the network, we probably won't send it to you. Because the network doesn't go through Google. (laughs) The network doesn't go through Facebook. But if you didn't take the time to join the network then I guess you don't care about us as much as you care about yourself. If you don't show up to minister calls, then you don't care about the other people in the other congregations as much as you care about yourself or maybe your own little congregation. This is this is nature. They So now they're thinking here, and 75% of the people voted in our county to join Idaho. 
<laughs> and leave Oregon. So we'd be Idagon or something. I don't know that. I guess they call it Greater Idaho. And if if all the counties that are are voting on this do what they're talking about, Idaho won't be landlocked anymore because it goes all the way to the coast. Now they think that's their salvation. It's not. I think it's fine if they want to pursue it and look into it. They might learn something. But it's not. And they had their first meeting the other day, that, that which was scheduled in the vote. It actually said when the meeting was going to t- take place. And people didn't show up. All kinds of people said, I didn't even know about it. You voted yes on having the meeting on that day. It was in the vote that you made. But they didn't read the print. The slothful shall be under tribute. So saith Proverbs. That's where we started. It's That's not going to change. Those are the principles that are built in to the nature of the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdoms of the world. And if you want that changed, that's fine, but you're not going to change those basic laws. And Amos is showing the people, how they were violating those basic laws. And we're going to relate that to our present time. Because the solution still to this day is the way of Christ. Which is the way of Moses and the way of Abraham. If you think the way of Moses and the way of Abraham is to pile up rocks and burn up sheep, you're already misled. You're already under a strong You've already believed a lie. And so it's up to you to turn your thinking around. And that's why we're giving you this information to kind of give you some leverage in turning your thinking around because it's that's quite a lot to accept. Like all the stuff I was taught as a child is not true. Well, not all. But basic, yeah, the basic formula of what the kingdom of God looks like, what his righteousness looks like, that hasn't changed. You still can't covet your neighbor's goods. And you can't do it through men who exercise authority. And the only way you can do it through men who exercise authority is that you make covenants with them. Then you put them in place of God where they are deciding what is good and evil. It's evil not to wear a mask. It's, it's evil not to get the vaccination. According to them... I think it might be the reverse. <laughs> but, but I'm actually a real shepherd. And the question is, am I a shepherd of God? Am I showing you the ways of righteousness? There's no way I'm going to show unrighteous people the ways of righteousness without upsetting somebody. But if your heart is full of forgiveness and love... Then join together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start learning what it means to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. Start seeking that dominion of God and his righteousness according to the teachings of the prophets. Like Joel, like Amos, like Micah. Because they all said the same thing. He certainly didn't say, 
it's okay to take from your neighbor through the force and violence of men who exercise authority one over the other. So, go to preparing you, that's preparing, com or hisholychurch.org. Look for the network links. Join the network. Try to get in touch with people. The network is based on geography, so wherever you're at, connect. And until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.